Hey everyone, it's Mariah and Danny. Welcome to our podcast, Behind Behavior, where we take a look at the science behind behavior and how we actually use it in real life. Short disclaimer, nothing we say on this podcast in any way reflects the opinions of our employers or the BACB. All opinions are our own. Also, there may or may not be some explicit language in this episode. One of us tends to swear, and the other one usually doesn't. Join us to find out. Howdy, <laughs> Mariah. <laughs> Hello there. Stranger. And welcome back, listeners, to Behind Behavior. You're so calm, Danny. It's calming down. It's been like a rainy day. Why shouldn't I be calm? I don't know. I'm over here amped up. You're amped. Well, <laughs> I don't know. After we talk about um, our topic today, I might be a little bit more amped because we both have a lot of thoughts on this one. This is what gets you amped? It's one of many things. I mean, there, there's there's highs and lows to be amped about, I suppose. It yes, is topic worthy, at least. Yeah, for sure. So our topic today is about being a new BCBA. So if you're one of our listeners and you're not a behavior analyst, um, this may or may not apply to you. Um, But if you're somebody who's in school or getting ready to take the exam or you just passed your exam, congratulations and keep listening because we're going to give you some tips and tricks for kind of navigating your new certification. I think for our listeners who aren't BCBAs or in the behavior field at all, this content could still be generalized to maybe Mm. just like starting out in your career or red flags, green flags sort of thing to maybe look for in a new place you're working at. That's true. Yeah, we're going to give some like general job related kind of stuff. Good point. So to start off, we're going to do this episode similar to how we did our boundary episode. I'll give two tips and tricks, and then Danny will also give a few tips and tricks, and then I think we're going to circle back around if we have anything general to wrap it up or add anything special. Sounds good to me. Do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. My first tip that really helped me a lot when I was a brand new BCBA. A lot of us in the field have to track hours. Essentially our whole job starts to revolve around tracking hours in some capacity or at least Mm. it can feel like that. (laughs) Yeah. So that means you need to have a very good time management system in place and establish something that can be like foolproof so you can just sort of rinse and repeat like week after week and something that also keeps you managing what you need to all in one place kind of like quick at a glance so i started using visual graphs for client hours so one aspect of our job is we have to usually track our billable and non-billable hours but within that we also have to track our clients hours and their availability within their reauth period to insurance so 
there's a lot going on. And in some capacities, you may have to track RBT supervision hours. So a lot's going on. This little tip is specifically for tracking your client's hours within a reauth period. So I started making visual bar graphs to help track this, which behavior analysis is a visually analyzing field. So mm-hmm. we look at data and then visually analyze whatever our data is telling us. So I thought, okay, cool. Why not do that for our clients? So typically you'd have a client caseload, say like Jane has 60 hours or whatever per six months. Okay, you can divide that up by month. So that would be like 10 hours a month each up until the six month time frame. And then you can do that weekly. So you're looking at like, I don't know, three and a half hours a week, a month, however you want to track. You can have this do the whole six months in one graph monthly or weekly. I always just did it weekly. Seemed more manageable for me. So the way I set up the graph is basically doing a fillable bar graph. So I make the Mm -hmm. x-axis the client's identifier. Some people use numbers. Some people use, you know, client initials. However you're identifying your client, that's like HIPAA compliant. And then on the y-axis, I do their total hours for whatever time frame I'm doing. So that would be for me weekly. And then you just print, print the bar graph out. And then whenever you see that client or you're spending time on them doing something billable, this could be with them or without, especially if it's re-auth time, you just fill in their bar graph. I typically use like fun pens or something. And then I would make each day of the week a different color pen. Mm. So like I'm with Jane for an hour on Mondays. That's blue. It's Monday still. And I went to Johnny and I spent an hour and a half on him. So I filled in his stuff. So not only could I categorize it like per week, how many hours I was spending on which client, I could also float back to like see which day I was spending time on that client. Mm -hmm. And then when your bar graph fills up, that, that client's at their max for the week and you know you can move on. Or if you go over, you can look at your data from the previous week and see if you had extra hours to use or to like kind of flex to even out your time with that person. That's such a good idea. And so I do something similar too. And so if listeners, if if you listen to like any episodes, you know that Mariah and I work in like different sections, I guess, of the ABA field. So I don't do um, insurance or anything, but I still have to keep track of hours. So what I've done is in an Excel spreadsheet, this takes a little more like formulation in Excel, but if you like Excel, I log my hours in there um, for the month daily, but then the whole sheet is for the month. And then I've got, you know, a section that like automatically sums the hours as I go through the weeks and I've got those formulated so that they are color coded based on how many hours I have left. So um, I typically get like eight hours a month 
for my clients. So then they're green. And then when I only have four hours remaining, they turn yellow. And then when I have one hour remaining, they turn red. So very similar idea to what Mariah does. But I just wanted to throw that out there so you can like generalize it, even if you don't work with insurance, if you don't know what re-off means, I don't know what that means, but you can generalize it to whatever like your niche field is as a behavior analyst, because no matter what you do, you're probably going to have to keep track of hours like in some capacity. So just find like a way that works for you. I feel like this is the quickest way to know your like at a glance hours. Yeah, I like the visual of just being able to look and I could see like on a bar graph, like you can just look and see like, oh, I'm about halfway, so I need to cool it. Or like on mine, when something turns yellow or turns red, like that's a really bright like visual stimuli. So it just makes it a little bit more obvious and a little bit more quicker. For people who aren't in behavior at all but are interested in the Excel sector of this. I do the Mm -hmm. same thing that Danny does with her Excel spreadsheet, but I do it in a budgeting format. Mm. So I have all of my like standard fixed expenses set up. And then at the beginning of the month, everything is red, which means it has not been paid. Once it has been paid completely, the cell will turn green. And if it's been partially paid, like if I'm making two payments on something a month or if I'm paying under what the minimum is, it will turn yellow. Mm-hmm. And it's still like a visual indicator of how that process is going. Mm-hmm. But it's all autofilled. Excel will do everything and it's fantastic. I personally just went with a paper system because my last place I worked was not digital at all. Mm-hmm. they did everything by hand and it's easier for me while I'm on the floor to just be like oh let me check instead of like needing to run to a computer or like get a tablet that we didn't use mm-hmm. so this way it was all on my person and updated in real time for me and then at the end of the week like I would just have this document saved and I would just print off a new one nice so easy, easy. mm-hmm My second tip is, no surprise, but these are kind of (laughs) similar, to use a paper calendar for planning, scheduling, and tracking RBT hours. More specifically, think an appointment calendar. Mm -hmm. So not just like a, oh, this is my agenda. Uh, An appointment calendar has a time slot for, it's like every 15 minutes throughout the entire day. There's a time slot. Um, So it allows you to track all three of those previously listed things simultaneously. And by planning and scheduling, I really mean planning and scheduling around authorizations or parent training sessions. Um, Those things that you need to generally prep in advance for to get like your completion done and your completion is on a time frame Mm. so if you have an authorization coming up and a an authorization or a re-auth for those who are unfamiliar like danny had said is when insurance is coming up to a time limit or you just took in a new kid and you're trying to get insurance to authorize their services you essentially give them a treatment plan 
and review the data, give updates and whatnot. And then they either authorize, which would be initial, or reauth, which would be after like the initial six months has gone by. Mm-hmm. So you usually have to do assessments for that, like compile all the data, analyze it, adjust goals, blah, blah, blah. Takes a ridiculous amount of time, especially if you're not caught up on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would always mark when a kid's or client's, not all of our clients are children, whenever the reauth is due. And then if you know, oh, you know, I'd like to get this done without being super stressed and under the wire about it, schedule back like five business days from when it's due. Mm-hmm. That way you can look in the calendar and have a visual prompt. Hey, start on you know, one component of this reauthorization. Also, tracking RBT hours, you know, we have the discretion. Danny, I know you don't supervise. I do not. (laughs) If you're in a session with an RBT and say said RBT is kind of like screwing around or not really listening, you have the discretion to say you're supervising them or not kind of (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i'm not saying this to be like vindictive but if they're not getting anything out of your supervision session or you're in there just like joshing around about new reality tv show then you're not supervising Mm -hmm. you cannot count that for their hours and they should not be counting that for their hours and that's on a monthly basis So whenever I did spend quality time with an RBT, I would write their name down and then write like a line to indicate how many hours I had spent with them. So Mm -hmm. when I'm signing off on their hours at the end of the month, I can confidently say like, yes, I agree. I also spent five hours with you or Mm -hmm. whatever in good faith and know that I'm not being unethical about it. Yeah. On a side note about this, I also just for shits and giggles always think it's kind of fun to track the moon phases you know everybody's always like this is not behavior analytic at all but i just like to do the coincidental oh it's a full moon let's see if everybody's acting up type we're getting a little (laughs) mentalistic here but i'm listening It's just funny, and I mean, you know a full moon is going to occur at least once a month. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a little light in what could be a dark month. Okay, if, so uh... this is a little bit of a tangent, but do you find that more issues arise when the moon is full? I think at one is... time I was, mm-hmm. and then it's kind of funny just like, oh, it's the full moon, of course, everybody's, like, on some stuff. But it's also, like, cool. Did that person get a new RBT? Was that person, like, trained on their treatment plan? (laughs) So there's not, like, a strong... I mean, we know correlation does not equal causation, but it sounds like there's not always even a strong correlation. There's not. But it's also kind of want to track that and see. It is really (laughs) funny to just be like, oh, ha, ha, ha. You know, just... Just joshing around. Listen, if anybody works in the medical field, your medical health care, whatever, you're going to hear that a lot. Oh, it's the full right. moon. Whatever. 
And when you track it in your calendar, you can be the first person to say that. <laughs> no, I hate that so much. But now it I kind of all... want to track it so I can say, yeah. look, it's a random, <laughs> it's not correlated. Stop saying it. <laughs> when you track that too, do you like all the Mercury retrogrades, like beginning and end, and then do you like all the cusping? Oh, see, I don't know even that. I, I gotta ask. You don't have to. Google Somebody will tell else. you. Just Google it and add it to your calendar. It's just, I find that it's kind of like comic relief. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, okay. Of course, like Cheryl's freaking out, flipping tables again. I feel like that could also, you didn't have like a third tip, but I feel like that could also be a third tip. Like you got to find some kind of comic relief in your job, especially if you work with like severe or frequent behavior. Because you can't just be stressed out all day. That's not good for you. And who knows, you might have a client who's super into this sort of stuff anyways. Mm -hmm. I used to have a client who made and gave tarot card readings. I love that. And I was like, all right, hit me. What's my card of the day? Absolutely. Even if I don't personally get down with the stuff, Mm -hmm. you should to some degree just to build rapport. It it's rapport building and it's I mean right. at least it's an interesting like hobby right. something fun and who am I to judge your hobbies not me right what tips do you got for us Danny so <clears throat> I've got I've got two also my first one is to shadow consult network generally just talk to other behavior analysts, whether they be actual BCBAs or not, that work in your niche field. Because unless you go into, well, let me back up and say, all like grad programs are probably a little bit different. I can only speak from like our experience and our grad program was pretty oriented towards like kids with autism in a clinic setting. Or gambling or gambling, or smoking. (laughs) And that was kind of, those are just like the niche interests of the professors that we had, which makes sense. So if you're interested in like a really niche interest like that, before you go into school, look, look for professors that share those interests. Oh, or potty training. You can find a lot of interesting stuff about potty training. And Danny and I have like no idea about anything. No, I have no, I have no experience with that. Um, So, but whenever I got out of school, I did not work in any of those fields. So that's, that's part of my tip to you. If you go to school in grad school and your grad school focused on like kids with autism, which I feel like is a very common um, focus in our field, but it's not necessarily where you're going to get employed. You need to find other behavior analysts. Uh, If you're the only one, find social workers, find therapists, whatever that work in your niche field to find strategies and interventions that are already working for them. Because the field is just too broad to cover everything in school. I mean, you you can't cover kids, adults, animals, smoking, gambling, substance abuse. Like, you just can't cover everything in two years and get a decent education. So well, once you get out... I don't out, think, like, programs are... Sorry. I don't really think programs are designed to cover every niche. No, I don't think they can. They're to teach you the principles Mm -hmm. of behavior, and they're not even designed to have you pass the boards. 
which will really get me riled up if somebody says a program is designed to help you pass the boards. See, this is something we disagree on, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> we <laughs> can save that. that. Take. <laughs> we'll save that for uh, a hot take. But no, but no, you're right. Like one program can't prepare you for everything. So my point is, once you get out of school, it's your responsibility to then continue furthering your education. And also just know, like, you're not going to know what you're doing. You're not going to have learned that in school. That's normal. You're not supposed to. That's totally normal. So whenever you get out and you find, like, your niche field, whether that be working in a school or with adults or in community settings or whatever, when you're looking for, like, research and references, find what field the authors come from even if they're in academia now they may have worked in group homes before they may have worked with like smoking cessation whatever find out what fields they worked in and what their niche is and follow those authors because authors with similar backgrounds as whatever your niche is now could provide more valuable and more like applicable insight than authors who have only ever been in academia that's going to be more generic than somebody who actually did the work in the field that you're in. Totally agree. Yeah. So my second point, mine are more broad. Mariah had more like specific examples. Mine are more broad <laughs> life advice, I guess. That's okay. But my second tip is just be prepared to adjust your expectations. Whenever you're in school at least in our program I feel like things were a lot more rigid and the actual like permanent product work that we did was more oriented towards research academia and conference presentations when you get out in the real the non-clinical world that stuff doesn't isn't as serious so forget like the rigid like the experimental ABA design in non-clinical applied ABA, it's it's never going to be as straightforward as AB, first of all. But then it's also most of the time going to be considered unethical to ever revert back to A. So that like experimental control we're taught to look for in grad school typically is not going to be able to happen in the real world for a lot of different reasons. Okay, pause. Yeah. For our listeners who are not in this field... Danny just said AB design in an ABA field. So what she's saying is she's talking about an experimental design of doing a baseline for treatment, which is essentially you're not doing anything. You're just collecting straightforward data. Mm-hmm. That's that's the A. And then the B is when you've implemented some sort of treatment. Mm-hmm. She just said that in a realistic applied setting, Chances are you're probably never doing a reverse to go back to A, where you're doing a baseline of um, data collection again, because it's probably not ethical. You're probably trying to eliminate something. Mm-hmm. But, but then you said ABA, which is just applied behavior analysis. So everyone who's unfamiliar with experimental designs and how you label those designs, I just wanted to break that down because it sounds like you may have just said ABA design in ABA. <laughs> Throwing a lot of A's and B's around. Thank you for right. that. <laughs> so, I mean, there is a potential that Danny could do an experimental design that is an ABC. Like maybe she's taking baseline data, then switches to a treatment, 
it's unethical to go back to the baseline providing no treatment. So she switches her treatment route and now that part of the design is going to be a C. It's just very hard in a listening format to get all of the acronyms. So I wanted to break mm-hmm. that down before we keep going. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fine. Thank you for doing that. Um, but I mean, yeah, basically the the point was you won't be able to go back to baseline necessarily like you could in a clinic for a lot of different things. In general, you're going to be relying more on the social validity to justify your decision making rather than the experimental control. I mean, just in general, overall, kind of once you get outside of school or like academia or research work, you can just loosen up in general. I guess that's really my second point. Just loosen up. (laughs) Just chill. (laughs) You know, your, your work probably isn't your work going to change the world (laughs) (laughs) your work probably isn't going to change the world i was going to say be presented in any conferences (laughs) or published in any journals like most of the graphs that i do and the data collection stuff is mostly for my reference if it's not for my reference it's for my frontline staff our psychiatrist maybe a parent But the point is, it's not for people who are trained on how to read graphs and analyze graphic display data. So we don't want to present it in the same way that we would at a conference or something. Literally, the first thing I did when I got out of school was I started adding color to my graphs because I think it's easier to read. Ooh, I never added color. I'm a straight (laughs) black and white girl. No, I'm, I'm a color person. And my stakeholders liked the color, so I kept it. I think there is a place for color, Mm -hmm. especially if you're meeting with um, like guardians or clients or like training your staff, RBTs type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But for re-offs and stuff, especially, I just kept everything APA, which is American Psychological Association, the formatting. And Mm -hmm. if you're unfamiliar, Excel will also do like a format setting with an APA template and you just mm-hmm. save it and then you click on your graphs and it'll do everything for you. Nice. See, so, so it'll if- depend on who your stakeholder is, right? Yeah. So like insurance, maybe even like a school or a school board for an IEP might need to be a little bit more familiar or um, formal, might need to be a little bit more formal. You just have right. to adjust. Or you can just save your preferred color schemes, <laughs> I guess. That's what I do keep it loose. But again, I'm not working with like insurance. I'm not presenting at conferences. It's a lot more chill. My last little point here, which is kind of within your adjust your, be prepared to adjust your expectations is just know that you're probably not going to find everything you need in a peer reviewed academic journal, which I know that's like the golden standard of where we're supposed to get all of our evidence But if you're working with a niche population of people, you might not find what you're looking for. You're going to have to learn to source your materials from other outlets and learn to discriminate uh, reputable from non-reputable sources. So this can be like books. This can be ACE-approved webinars, ACE-approved or reputable podcasts, not just anybody. Um, And if you find a specific BCBA that is informative informative and applicable to your situation, hot tip, follow them on social media. 
on Instagram uh, or Facebook if they have it. But oftentimes they're going to be posting helpful resources or they're going to be reposting other behavior analysts who do post resources. So utilize your social media to find uh, find stuff if you're not finding anything in the literature. I agree. I mean, yeah. in some some aspect, we've talked about social media before and how some of us completely just want to check out once we like get home. Mm-hmm. Like, cool, I'm not trying to do any more like behavior stuff or think about clients in any capacity now that I'm at my own house. Right. So maybe for that, identify if that's an issue for you and set up different profiles. Like, sure, you can have a professional Danny uh behavior enthusiast profile or something Mm -hmm. and then you just have your personal if that works for you if it doesn't i mean you can keep them the same whatever yeah i mean tailor it to your personal preferences it's just another potential place to find resources if you're not finding it in the literature oh yeah the the bcas are everywhere yeah which is i'm neutral you're neutral about that i'm neutral about that i don't know sometimes i am like wow there's a lot of like bcba aba content out there and then sometimes it's like wow there's a lot of rbts or there's like a lot of people who are i believe the board wants us to reference them as supervisees people who are seeking the bcba cert yeah aren't yet but then their profiles say like seeking bcba Mm. i have mixed feelings about that stuff in terms of what you would consider a more reputable source of getting information from so i mean yeah that's gonna go back to your discrimination skills of determining reputability but if it's not in the in the traditional literature you gotta find it somewhere oh we are an evidence-based practice i think a lot of times too sometimes your staff that you work with i know danny's situation's a little more unique you don't necessarily you're not necessarily like walking with another bcba in some of your situations but sometimes other people in the company have more familiar familiarity with said client you may be having a challenging problem with Mm -hmm. and they might bring in like another perspective regardless if they're like in the behavior field of the job or not oh absolutely um so i think that their opinions and input are important too and then you can kind of you're the one who has to make it behavior analytic absolutely i mean yeah i do that at work all the time i'm the only behavior analyst in my region but my staff know the clients and residents better than i do they're there Mm -hmm. every single day i can't be there every day right they absolutely know what's going on better than i do so we just have to i don't know be open to everyone even if it's not necessarily like behavior analytic source you Mm -hmm. know Mm-hmm. But again, that comes down to like the discrimination technique. Mm-hmm. So maybe brush up on those skills as a new BCBA. Yes. Yeah. Do we have any additional tips we should add? I'm sure we do. Okay, I got one. 
Okay. Set boundaries before entering a job. Say it again, Mariah. We all know I love a good boundary. <laughs> or We did a whole boundaries episode. <laughs> plural boundaries. Mm-hmm. Personally, I get really frustrated at people who work over 40 hours. There mm-hmm. is only like a handful of occupations where you're compensated appropriately to be either on call or have a legitimate flexible work schedule. Mm-hmm. Being a BCBA is not something I would qualify as one of those in the handful. <laughs> so mm. um, after you've worked your 40 hours or whatever you've agreed to work at your mm-hmm. place of employment and your salary, you don't get paid anymore. Right. Like, don't stay late to just finish one more thing because the next day you're going to have one more thing to do. It's not mm-hmm. going to go away. Right. So just work your time and go home. Yeah, save it, and then you'll get paid to do it the next day instead of doing it for free the night or weekend before. Right, because that's a slippery slope, and before you know it, it starts to cut into your personal time, mm-hmm. starts to cut into your family time, starts to cut into your self-care, burnout's easier, mm-hmm. You have you already have a reduced amount of time to recover in a sense before you need to return to work right i mean just stop you're not doing yourself any favors essentially by working more and if we're gonna think about this in a behavioral sense whenever you stay late come in early work the weekends whatever and you do it for free you are teaching your employer that you are willing to do that so you're setting yourself up for encouraging them to ask you to do it more often in the future. Mm-hmm. You're reinforcing them. Yes. Whereas if you set the boundary from the beginning, if they ask you to stay late or if they ask you to like work on some stuff on a holiday and you say no, I you're, mean... I mean, you're punishing in the behavioral sense them asking as in they did not get the reaction that they wanted and they're less likely to ask you again in the future, which is what you want because you don't want to be asked to stay late or work for free in general. Right. And that's your boundary when you say no. Mm -hmm. You don't have to give an excuse or Mm -mm. an additional clause like no because um, blah, blah, blah. It's just no. No is a full sentence by itself. If you want an excuse, you can say, like, I can do that when I have some free time within your working hours. Yeah. No, I can't get to that tonight since it's 4.30 and I leave at 5. I can Mm -hmm. do that tomorrow. Something like that. So you don't sound like a complete asshole. Sure. And you still (laughs) sound a little accommodating. Mm -hmm. But it is clear you're allowed to say i'm not doing that right now right um another quick little tip i have is to incorporate self-care into Mm -hmm. your 40-hour work week 
this doesn't need to be necessarily within the 40 hours mm-hmm. in some ways you could incorporate it if your schedule lets you mm-hmm. um sometimes i would bill through my lunch which when you're salaried you don't necessarily get a break um i could decide to bill through my lunch and have lunch with a client which sometimes that's needed if you're trying to catch like a specific eating behavior sure but if i wasn't feeling it i would go outside to eat mm-hmm. i don't need to sit around my grumpy coworkers <laughs> who are probably feeling just as burnt out as me mm-hmm. um you know if i'm taking 30 minutes to eat that's acceptable mm-hmm. your company shouldn't be saying where you're eating It's one thing if you're like, oh, okay, I'm not going to leave the property or something like that worked into your um, company's logistics. That doesn't mean you can't go take your break in your car. Right. Like, do whatever you want. If I finished eating lunch early, I would take a walk around outside. Mm -hmm. That's pretty regulating. We also have a friend who every day after work, she'll stop at a park or the gym or something mm-hmm. and she walks a little bit just to kind of sort out and be mindful of like having that buffer period between leaving work and coming home mm-hmm. just to not like bring that baggage from work into home and I love that idea yes especially if you work in a helping field like this you have to be able to leave work at work so I love that idea too I wish I incorporated that more. (laughs) You know what I used to do at my last job? And I started this when I was in, when we were in grad school at my um, assistantship job. I would go through the car wash. So the car wash we have in town is like a subscription service. You can go through one a day. When I was feeling stressed or needed a break or just like needed to kind of decompress after work, I would go through the car wash. Something about just like the water. I don't know. I, I it. love that. It's very <laughs> sensory. I and loved it. You get like the haptics from the soap hitting, mm-hmm. the, the smells. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fun. Do you have any additional tips to give Danny? I do actually kind of building off yours. I think these are all things that Mariah and I have learned from like real life experiences. So learn from our mistakes. Um, My first one is to clarify all expectations as early as possible. So that that could mean within the interview, if appropriate, but don't start a job and wait until an issue comes up to clarify. So this could be like your pay schedule and pay expectations, hourly versus salary. Do you get paid overtime? Um, This could be hours or the schedule that you're expected to work. Clarify whether you're expected to work, you know, nine to five. Are you able to flex your time? Could also include how to request time off. Don't wait until you need to request time off to find out how to do it or how much time you have. The earlier you can find these things out, if you can find them out in an interview, it can help you decide whether this job is really going to fit the needs that that you're looking for. Um, But even if you if you can't, you know, some people are intimidated asking about benefits and salary in an interview, and that's okay. But if you can find out your first day, second day on the job, it'll give you a better picture of what this job's going to look like going forward. 
because I will just say that I have had multiple jobs as an adult, at least a couple that are, that I can think of off the top of my head where hours, for example, were framed one way in an interview and I didn't ask clarifying questions. And then I got into the job and realized that it was not as it had, as I had thought it was going to be. And if I had known that, it may have swayed my decision. So clarify things early, ask clarifying questions. Another tip I have is to get things in writing. So obviously when you start a job, you're gonna sign like a million pieces of paper, get copies of all of those. Your employer will probably need the original and that's fine, but get copies of all of those, whether they're like physical copies or digital, get copies of any contracts, anything that you sign. And then once you're in the job, any like expectations or responsibilities that change, this might be salary, this might be expected hours, um, this might be like if you're expected to work on like a special temporary project, if this is discussed verbally over the phone or in person, send a follow-up email with a summary and keep that as your documentation. Because unfortunately, you might like your boss, you might like your coworkers. But verbal agreements don't mean a whole lot in a work setting. So if you ever need to go back and find something to justify a decision or to kind of back you up, if there's like a disagreement, the documentation is what's going to save you. I.e. employers are shady. Some of them are. And there have been times where I wish that I had documented. <laughs> oh, yeah. A million times. Yeah. So, like I said, learn from, from our mistakes. I don't know. I might have a jaded perspective. <laughs> I, I, like, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I love my current company. It's the best company I've ever worked for. But I've absolutely gotten burned in the past. So, I'm pretty jaded and pretty pessimistic as far as employers go but I feel like it's kind of a like better safe than sorry situation oh yeah I definitely you know? feel like a lot of jobs especially for BCBAs a lot of employers are really predators and mm. you can catch yourself in a snake pit real quick you really can. And especially when you're working in a helping profession in social work, um, healthcare, anything like that, a lot of employers really push the narrative of we have to do extra for our clientele, which we do, but I'm also an employee. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, it's really a really taking advantage of a vulnerable population when you're brand new <laughs> yeah yeah especially if you're new just know that it you can absolutely stand up for yourself find an ally in your coworkers if you can <laughs> go With back that, to those boundaries yeah definitely want to head out with our bits and bobs hopefully we have some lighter bits and bobs <laughs> I feel like mine's not too bad this week. Yeah? What's yours, Mariah? I have sending a hot beverage as a bits and bobs. 
Okay, sending a hot beverage. Which I get a lot of flack from my friends. Anyone who's listening that I'm close with knows that I typically refer to anything I'm drinking as a beverage. Mm -hmm. We also know that I'm pretty emotionally unavailable (laughs) (laughs) in a lot of regards. So... In a way to bridge my love of beverages and in an attempt to be emotionally available for others, <laughs> sending a hot beverage is the perfect solution. And by sending a hot beverage, I mean Venmo your friends like $10 so they can go treat themselves when they're having a crap day. That's such a good idea. I love that. You probably put a little beverage emoji next to it. Yeah. Sometimes I just send like a few dollars here or there to somebody, like, oh, thinking of you. Or like, have a good day. Mm -hmm. um, I think I did this to like a friend who just had a loss, sent them $10, like, get yourself a hot beverage. Mm hmm. It's kind of, it's like a warm hug in a mug, even though I would not enjoy you physically hugging me (laughs) but yeah i can see the recipient would really appreciate that especially if you know you're not expecting that it's a nice little surprise and you can treat yourself to something that maybe you weren't planning on treating yourself to that day whether it be a hot or iced beverage i guess Mm -hmm. i just say hot because i think of like hot tea as being comforting but yeah yes you can spend the ten dollars however you want you could invest it Get yourself a little snack. Buy some Bitcoin. (laughs) But no, (laughs) I would not recommend that. (laughs) Um, you know, spend it on an MLM. I don't know. Listen, we're not talking about MLMs. (laughs) (laughs) Don't listen to those last two. But the sending a hot beverage is a great idea. (laughs) Yeah the the. Investing in Bitcoin and spending money on MLMs was not a bits and bobs. No, that was a joke. We don't support MLMs on this podcast. What is your bits and bobs for this week, Danny? So mine is a song, which I will post the link to Spotify in our notes section. This is the Affirmation Song by Snoop Dogg. Nice. Am I going to feel amped up after I listen to it? It's literally, okay, so it's on a children's album, which first of all, I didn't know that Snoop Dogg had a children's album, but he does, and it's actually pretty good. Um, But the song is literally just, it's a call and response. So it's Snoop Dogg saying an affirmation, and then it's got like recording of, of kids' voices too, repeating the affirmation. It's really cute. I love it like for kids, but I also love it like for myself. Sometimes I'll listen to it, you know, in the morning if you're just not really feeling it or, you know, you're just trying to go to work and you don't really want to go to work kind of day. Might listen to this song and it does. It makes you feel good. It's upbeat, but it's not. It's a kid's album, right? So it's not your traditional Snoop Dogg that you're used to. It's actually very cute. We're not rolling blunts and... There is no blunt references that I have been able to decipher. Hmm. Might have to take a look. 
but it's very cute. And if you're like trying to get into like affirmations or you're talking to somebody and trying to get them into affirmations because it's Snoop Dogg, it's kind of an interesting like it's not as cheesy, I guess. It doesn't sound as kind of woo-woo mentalistic. Luffy. Yeah. It doesn't sound like full moons. <laughs> exactly like tracking moon phases. And if nothing else, it's like, listen to Snoop Dogg say affirmations. Like, that's weird. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I Snoop's it. been through some stuff. He's probably had to affirm himself. You'll just have to listen to the song. It's it's cute. I like it. Definitely intrigued. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend for adults and children. Thanks for hanging out, listening to us today you guys are super interested and you're loving the podcast so far consider leaving us a review or rating us wherever you listen to our podcast thanks for listening today you can find us on instagram at behind behavior pod on facebook at behind behavior or if you're old school send us an email at contact behind behavior at gmail.com smell you later Thank you.